Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. Thank you so much for joining me. I am your host, Emma Gunn-Awardner, and on this episode of the show, I am joined by social and cultural, cultural? Social and cultural anthropologist and flirting coach, Jean Smith, who has just released her new book, Flirtology, Stop Swiping, Start Talking and Find Love. I was very interested to talk to her. I am a single person. I do find that it is, once you reach a certain age, I'm sure many of you who are single in your late 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever you might be, may feel that it's harder to meet somebody. And Jean just really breaks it down and says, actually, it's not. You just have to be a bit more strategic. It's obviously a lot more involved in that. This book is most excellent. But what I was really struck by, uh, I got this book a couple of weeks before I met Jean. And at around the same time, somebody in the Facebook group, uh, the Emma Gunn Show Forum on Facebook, posted about um, ending a friendship. And it started a conversation amongst the members about toxic friendships, about how difficult it is to leave a friendship, why sometimes it's completely necessary. But also it then sort of stemmed from there a conversation about, well, how do you make new friends? Because a lot of these friendships were ending at a time when people are no longer in school or in the same job for long periods of time. Anyway, it just made me realise as I was reading Jean's book that there are so many things in here, so many brilliant rules about dating that can be wonderfully applied to just socialising generally, particularly if you feel like you want to attract the right people into your life. It's such an interesting read. Um, she opens up with various things about like the myths about flirting, the sort of gender roles that we've got ourselves into that actually aren't helping because they're slightly dated in the modern life that we're leading. Um, we talk about phone addictions, we talk about, um, we talk about dating apps, and actually, when I listened to her talk about it, I really realised how it isn't being that proactive to get on a dating app. When you think about it, listen to what Jean has to say. I kind of was like, yeah, I've got to give it to you. There's nothing particularly proactive about that. But like I said, whether you are single, whether you are on the dating scene or not, I do think that a lot of what Jean has to say is incredibly relevant. 
And that's why I was so pleased to actually sit down and get a chance to talk to her. She made me banana bread, people, and that banana bread was warm when I enjoyed it with a coffee, although it was my fifth coffee of the day. So um, I became a little jittery, let's just put it that way. Uh, it was good coffee, it was good banana bread, it was amazing. Um, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I think it will inevitably create some discussion uh, that would be wonderful to see in the Facebook group. So if you do want to join, please do click the link in uh, the show notes. The Facebook group is a closed group, but I do go in and I approve every single member and get involved in some of the chats. I might weigh in every now and again, but I know that lots of you are making friends over there and it's a really nice, safe place. So please do join. If you want to get in touch with me directly, it's the same. It's, it's you know, it's so easy. Just email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs. I am at Emma Guns on Twitter and on Instagram. And obviously it would be wonderful if you're enjoying the show, if you could head over to iTunes, click those five stars just so that it helps push me up the rankings and get me noticed because iTunes is quite a busy little platform, don't you know? So yeah, any, any listener feedback, any listener reviews makes such a difference to getting noticed. But for now, here we are, here I am with Jean Smith, the brilliant, brilliant uh, perspective, kind of like a scientific approach to the art of flirting, which um, is definitely one worth hearing. I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode. Here it is, the author of Flirtology, Stop Swiping, Start Talking and Find Love, Jean Smith on The Emma Gunn Show. I'm so pleased to be joined by Jean Smith. Hello. Hello, Emma. <laughs> um, you are an author of the book Flirtology. Now, let's just read the full name because I want to make sure I get it right. Stop swiping, start talking, and find love. Yes. Big talk, my friend. <laughs> Big talk. Yeah. Um, I've started reading this book and immediately thought, oh, oh, literally the first chapter, and re- listeners, I encourage you to pick up this book and read the first chapter, and the rest of it, obviously. There are so many things that you realise are little corrections in the way that we sort of get into bad habits in terms of communicating with other people. Mm-hmm. So before we dig into it, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just giving a kind of um, an overview of the book and the experience that led you up to the point mm. of creating it. Yeah, sure. I think, um, as most people will notice, what's happening at this current moment in society, and and I am a cultural and social anthropologist, so I think that brings a unique perspective to what's going on. And so what people have probably noticed is that people have stopped talking and interacting with each other. Now, because from what I've noticed, a couple major things happening. One is our increased reliance on our um, digital world and Mm -hmm. smartphones, etc. And the other is the changing of the gender roles. So because of these two major things happening right now specifically, people are really confused about what to do. What should, can I say this? Can I? And so what's happening instead of us as a society sort of figuring out what's going on and then making, uh, you know, adjusting appropriately, mm-hmm. we're all hiding, mm-hmm. we're hiding behind our phones. And then of course we have the whole, well, I won't be rejected if I hide behind my screen. Mm-hmm. So that's basically the crux of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about gender roles, I think I know what you mean, but for, but for clarity, you're mm-hmm. talking about the fact that, um, well, perhaps you should say it in your own words rather than me putting words into your mouth, but I identified something you said at the beginning of the book where you said it's completely fine for a man to go up to a woman and say, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. But when a woman does it, it implies something slightly masculine, maybe that thing of, 
women not being able to make the first move is that where is that have I interpreted that right well I guess I would say it in a different way than the way you just said it Mm -hmm. I said that um it's completely fine for everyone to approach Mm -hmm. and of course there's this there's a stereotype there's all these adages it's advice passed on from our mothers Mm -hmm. that you know a good girl doesn't approach men or men will be intimidated or men won't like it and I'm saying it's 2018, the rules have completely changed. And in my book, I go into specifically why they've changed. Mm -hmm. I feel like in so many ways, um, I mean, I know you have male listeners too, but women have made so many strides and especially in the workplace and and making different life decisions. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden we get into this territory and we revert back to the 1950s. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look at all the look at how you're being proactive and taking initiative in every single other area of your life. Why this area? Like a very important one. But Are that's, you not? But that's exactly what I thought because yeah. I still, as a single woman, if I, I, I make it a point actually when I go out now, mm-hmm. um to if somebody's uh, serving us drinks or serving dinner, I'll say, Hi, how are you to the person who comes over and says, What would you like to order? What's your name? Because I've seen friends do it and um, I think it looks really nice and it looks really inclusive and it's just a nice way to treat people yeah. like hi how are you what's your name etc but I would still go back to that 1950s mindset of but if I go to the bar and order a drink and my friend's at the table and there's a guy next to me I wouldn't say hey how are you doing yeah because I would expect him to have to do it right or I felt like if I did do it I was saying hey I like you and then that would make me feel vulnerable yeah so this is why what we need and what I really like the way I've done it with flirtology uh, is that we need a complete reframing Mm -hmm. of these types of interactions. And it's just about everyone. Cause I know men are also really worried about coming across as that guy or creepy. And it's everyone first treats everyone else as a human. That's Mm -hmm. how we first approach each other. We don't go from zero to flirting straight away. Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't even happen anyways, unless you know, a New Yorker, like, Hey, how you doing? Like, I mean, come on, that's not even realistic. New York dating is a completely (laughs) different thing. I've heard about it from friends and they're like, it is like on the, on the subway, someone will be like, Hey, want to go out? You're like, what? Yeah. I actually researched the the flirting cultures of London, New York, Paris, and Stockholm. And I wrote my master's dissertation comparing Stockholm and, and Paris, which were exact opposite ends of the spectrum. In what way? Oh gosh, well that's an entire other book, but it's mostly <laughs> about about gender roles. Where in Paris, they're very much stuck to the this is how a man acts and this is how a woman acts and you will not act any other way except for these prescribed gender roles. Where in Stockholm, and the only reason I went to Stockholm in the first place is the United Nations Development Index rated Swedish women as having the least amount of inequality let's put it like that no such thing as complete equality and I thought yeah I thought I wonder how this affects the flirting oh my gosh you know we've we've heard all these things about man is hunter and biologically men should be the one to approach all this stuff well guess what happens when you go to a culture where the context is well first of all they're they're not a religious culture um the state provides things like child care and health care and the general sentiment is everyone is equal just generally So guess what happens? Women make the exact same choices that men have made. Um, In fact, the men were complaining. They're like, we try and talk to women. And they're like, we're with our friends now. Or we try and buy them a drink. And they're like, well, we can buy our own drink. And and all this sort of thing. So, And the the men were complaining that women uh, are too superficial. And they just want a guy to look good. And, you know, all this stuff. Which, you know, does this sound familiar, Emma? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And this has all been packaged under biological reasons, which is just complete rubbish. So is this happening in pockets in cities? Is this maybe why city dating globally is maybe more complicated because women are maybe that dynamic is a bit more like the one in Stockholm? Well, it's about economics. That's what it all boils down to. And this is why when women here in London say, can I, can I approach a man? Can I ask a man out? I'm like, of course you can. But then you better be ready to pay for the date mm-hmm. because this is where a lot of women are getting it wrong. They like the idea of being proactive and they're quite assertive in most areas of their life, but then they want a man who's a gentleman or he better pay for my meal otherwise. And it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. That's not actually helping us out at all mm-hmm. with that kind of yeah. mentality. So feel free to ask because choice is power, Emma. Mm-hmm. If you have the choice, you have the power. The other option is to be passive, sit in the corner, and hopefully something comes along if you, you know, uh, bat your eyelashes at it enough. I mean, how efficient is that? Choice is power, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> it's true. But with that choice, then you can't, like as the New York males were saying, because this is, this is how the New York females in, in my research told me they... They were very powerful women. Wow, the the women I interviewed, um, which was just your average sample sample size. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even specific women, and uh, but you know they wanted to take charge and control. But at the last minute, they wanted him to, you know, come in yeah. and be the knight in shining armor. And when I asked some of the the males about this in my who I interviewed in New York as well, they're like, yeah, they just want to have their cake and eat it too. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So they re- so the guys really feel it. The guys really feel that at a certain point they have to give more. It was just kind of like a mixed message. Mm. How interesting. And so are men, in your experience in doing this research, are men baffled? Are men just as confused? Everybody's confused. Yeah. It's that, that part isn't... But here's the thing. If we can get past this confusion about, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, mm. I, I'm... I'm the guy. I was supposed to do this, but now I don't know if I can, or I'm the woman and I'm, I wasn't supposed to do this. Basically, if we can get through all these things that are assigned biologically, I mean, Mm -hmm. to me, that's a crazy way to assign something. What about personality traits? Why aren't all extroverts the ones who are supposed to go up and and ask out and introverts? Mm. Like, it's just, it's just crazy that it's assigned to biology. But anyways, if we can get past all that, then we can just be whoever we are. So as I said, like if, or if, if I'm in a good mood and I see someone attractive, it doesn't matter if I'm a man or a woman. I go up to them and just say, hey, how's it going? Mm. Which brings me back to something you said a little bit earlier about if you were standing at, at the bar and it would be a different scenario if mm-hmm. you spoke to the, the person next to you. What I sort of <clears throat> teach people to do, but also encourage people to do, is just constantly have interactions with people. Mm-hmm. Just everyone, old, young, men, women, it, it doesn't matter because then it's practicing the skill. And I do mm-hmm. teach this as a skill. It's practicing the skill. So then when all of a sudden you're standing next to the bar next to someone who you think is like very cute, it's not so overwhelming. It's just mm-hmm. you again, chatting with people like you always do. Yeah. But this time you just happen to really fancy the person. Okay. So the book is flirtology. So basically what we're saying is there shouldn't be a difference. Should there be a difference between flirting and just socializing with someone? Oh, good question, Emma. You, you picked that up. Okay. So <clears throat> the problem with this word flirting, and again, I, I recently- sorry listeners, Jean just has a look <laughs> on her face that says she cannot wait to get into it. <laughs> yes. It is my favorite subject. <laughs> the problem with this word flirting 
And I do have the research. Mm -hmm. I asked 250 people in in these four cities, uh, London, Paris, New York, and Stockholm, what is flirting? And basically almost everyone had a different answer. So for the... It, it was it was quite tied to the cult, different cultures. So basically, the Parisians would have similar answers about it, and the Londoners. And but there were so many different answers. So what I've done actually is flirting is sort of like being social and fun, passing the time, making other people feel good, etc. And I do talk about it in the book. But since my book is for single people specifically, mm-hmm. people who want to find love and who are sick of online dating and apps and whatever, which I am too. I think they're horrible we need ways to, come to meet to people. Yeah. So instead I call that flirting with intent. So that's the difference between like friendly flirting mm-hmm. and flirting with intent. So flirting so- slash socializing, making people feel good, having a nice social interaction, yeah. walking away from it thinking that was nice is different from flirting with the intent of, I want a number. Mm-hmm. I want a date out of this. Yeah. I want something more. Yes. And what does that look like? <laughs> I love your style. Like you don't, you don't mess around. You're just like I'm an interested okay. party. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is what this looks like. Uh, shall we set a scene? Yes. Okay. Do, would you like to set the scene? Okay. <laughs> Picture it, Sicily. <laughs> I'm not going to go Golden Girls, um, although I might be one soon. Right. Focus. Um, Two colleagues, female colleagues, out in a bar, which happens to me a lot. We tend to, like, spill out from work. Like, should we go and have a drink? Yeah, fine. Two guys at the table next to you. Yeah. Expand. How do we... Perfect. Okay. Love this scenario. It's very good. Because, actually, um, with my private coaching, I take people on wing person nights out. So I take them in small groups of three or four at a bar in the city. And this exact situation happens quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So this is what you do. (laughs) Are you listening? I, I love the way I say, I'm like, right, this is what you do. Okay, I've step one. breathing so I don't miss a thing. <laughs> step one. Well, first of all, I would have hoped that you wouldn't have just randomly sat at that table. That before you and your colleague uh, sat uh, down. Uh, already made a mistake there. Okay. No, it's fine. But basically, it's about um, being the most efficient as you can while you're living your amazing day-to-day life. That's what it is. Yeah. So if you and your colleague want to have a drink and you're single and both possibly looking, mm-hmm. then just be efficient about it. And this means when you walk in, you just, first of all, look around. I mean, who does that? Or mm-hmm. most likely probably face in the phone, this or that, just run to the uh, the nearest table. No, no. Emma. I'm always like, is there a booth? I want the booth. I want the booth. <laughs> yeah. Booths are totally comfy. But if you're actually interested in meeting people, not the best. Okay. Yeah. What you would actually do is stand by the bar. That's what you do. Or you'd find a seat near their bar or Mm -hmm. even possibly stand. It's Mm -hmm. much easier to move about um, if you're standing. Anyways, you look around who's there. So let's say that you see these two guys and here's the next important thing. They have open body language. Mm -hmm. This is what the New York males didn't get, I remember, because it is quite, I mean, everything about the city is aggressive. Um, But I just remember being there with friends visiting and we'd be deep in conversation, just really not open body language, not using our eye contact and looking around. Mm-hmm. Nothing about us said, we want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And we'd still be bombarded and just like, um, yeah, we're just trying to catch up. Oh, great. So where are you ladies from? 
Yeah, not with you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't say it that strictly, but sometimes I just mm-hmm. had to be like, yeah. You had to shut it down. Yeah, like, okay, uh, see you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, so this is important for both men and women is to see who looks open and approachable. And you do that by looking at the body language and just seeing if people are looking around. Mm-hmm. Now, because as I mentioned, I do this with clients and I have done it for years, I have a huge sample size. And in Mm. anthropology, we use this term sample size, where something needs to happen enough times before we can deem it true or not. So what happens is people, for example, go on two dates, and then they're like, there's no one out there. (laughs) Now, it might feel like there's no one out there, but your sample size is two. Mm -hmm. This is not enough information for you to decide what's true or not. So my sample size is so big going out, especially to this particular bar, that I know 95% of the time, if people have open body language, they are happy to talk to us. 5% of the time, they're not. And that's fine. But a few times it's happened where one of my uh, clients has actually approached two guys who had very close body language. And guess what? was not successful mm-hmm. because they weren't open, just as I said with you know me in mm-hmm. New York. So read the body language. i this is why I've gone on about it so long on and on about it because this is your number one friend. So let's say these two guys had open body language. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> then you would do something that I call using a prop. Now this is, this is what I, I help people with on the fearless flirting tours. This is interactive tours where we go around London supermarket galleries on the street. And I teach people this skill of how to use a prop. The prop means that you always have a question to ask. So you don't feel flummoxed. Um, So you you use the prop and then you just ask them a question. Let's say the prop at this point is their drink. You could say, oh, that drink looks amazing. Is this place known for something in particular? What would you recommend? Mm -hmm. Now, if they already have open body language and you're sitting close enough, so it's very natural for you to say that. If you're Mm -hmm. sitting five tables down, there's nothing natural about this. This is why the very first thing you do is look to see who looks open and then you place yourself in their proximity. So when you do ask something about the drink, it's very natural. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you just have, it's very strategic. You go into the room, you have a look around, you pick your position and then you just start a conversation. (laughs) And which basically, if we had this conversation 50 years ago, it would be like, (laughs) <laughs> are you simple? Why are we even talking like this? It's just, that's not to minimize what you do, but it, it seems kind of obvious, but yeah. it is harder in this day and age, isn't it? Because people are closed off. And I'm interested by, so as a woman who walks around a busy city all the time, I have developed, as every woman you see walking down the road does, I have developed a bitch face, mm. or as my brother calls it, a force 10 bitch shield. So that nobody will approach me because I don't want to be, mm. I don't want to be vulnerable. I'm in a big city. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit vulnerable. So I, so I walk around and, and I'm letting everybody know by my body language, don't come anywhere near me mm. yet. I would love somebody to come and chat me up. Mm. Okay. So there's a couple interesting things that you just said. One is I don't think it's harder in this day and age at all. Mm-hmm. I just think you have to do something yeah, and it's easier to not do something. So it's not harder, especially the way I teach it. You just incorporate it into what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you just said, I, that is actually one of my pet peeves, this whole idea of resting bitch face, because why don't men have a resting bitch face? Why is it only women who are accused of having a resting bitch face? Mm-hmm. And this just goes into the wider 
idea in society, how women always have to be smiling and look pretty and and open and approachable. And Mm. I call bullshit on that. (laughs) I mean, if I'm walking down the street and I have to get somewhere and thinking of a million things, I don't care what I look like to everyone else. Mm. But that's something completely different from when I'm relaxed and open and ready and I'm you know, with my friend or, or I feel like mm. talking to people. These mm. are two completely different instances. And I'll just say it one more time. I don't think as women, we always have to look open, approachable and smiley to satisfy everyone else. I had never, ever thought about that. You never get, you never hear a man. I've oh. never heard a man being accused of having a resting bitch face. Yeah. That's a bit of a moment in my head now. I mean, I know I've developed that skill because I, I, not skill. I know I've, I feel like I've developed that shell just to be able to walk around the city with kind of confidence and like I'm looking ahead and I don't want, and I want to get to where I'm going. Yeah. It's like a, it's a self-preservation protection technique. And it's totally doubly unfair that one, and I, I mean, I'm not a man walking around in a city, so I, I don't know if they face Mm. anything, which they might as well. Mm. I don't know. But no, as a a fellow woman sitting next to you walking around in the city, yeah, you Mm. have to develop these skills. But then, as a double, you do everything wrong. Oh, but even though you develop these skills so you don't feel vulnerable, now you're also being castigated because you don't look open, smiling, and approachable. So, mm. what are we supposed to do? I know. And you, yeah, it's one extreme from the other. It's you can't win. So mm. basically, just don't play that game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now yeah. let's go back to online dating because I think this is very, oh, very yes. interesting. And one of the things that you say very on, early on in the book, and I remember again, it was one of the bits I went over and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so right. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase. So if I get this okay. wrong, please correct me. But it was basically um, dating apps and websites make money. And the way they make money is by you being on them longer. So what does that tell you? It means that success is not in their best interest because the less amount of time you're on it and the more matches they make, the uh, less money they make. Mm. And also something, I forget the stat, is it 2% of relationships are born of a... I think it's five. Five, okay. Apologies for getting that wrong. Um, That's a tiny proportion, whereas one would believe, I certainly would think that if somebody said to me two weeks ago before I picked up this book... yeah. How many of your friends do you think have met via online dating? I'd say, oh God, I probably in this day and age, probably majority of them. I would not have believed it was that small. Mm. I think one of these, <clears throat> the things that perpetrates the online dating and the dating apps is that everyone knows at least one person, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the numbers of how many millions, I think, is it 50 million in the UK? I mean, here, I can't even remember the exact number. But the millions and millions of people who are using these things mm. should be a lot higher if you're looking percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone can find an example of anything if you ask them. But mm-hmm. you know, I want to see the pure um, ratios. And as, as I have the numbers in my book, it's very small of the people who actually meet that way. And there's certainly a lot of time wasters. I think it was something like one third of people have actually are online, but have never actually met someone. They're just time wasters. So they're getting um, a dopamine hit from getting matches. Yep. Yeah. Or maybe are happy just to chat, but don't actually want to meet in real life. There's so many time wasters. Because I've been on dating apps and uh, several things. Blokes always go, I'm putting my height because that seems to be important. Uh, what's the other thing they put? Um, don't want to spend ages on here chatting. <laughs> Do you like how I'm just doing the voice? Don't want to spend ages <laughs> on here chatting, keen to meet. Don't, no time wasters. 
So it obviously works both ways, whereas I think, well, I think there are guys who are using um, date. Well, what do you find? Do you find that people's, have you unpicked that, people's motives for joining a dating app? Is it um, an ego boost or is it because they're thinking, actually, I really do believe that this could be the path to Mm. my future long-term relationship? So I only know, I don't actually have my own research into that, but I know what my clients tell me. And I think it's changed over the years. That, that for sure. I think people used it more seriously. But if we look at the evolution of even starting with online dating and now to the app, mm. the less effort and the less serious people are about things, then the less likely you're going to meet someone genuine mm. who, mm. I mean... Let's put it this way. Online dating, you used to have to fill out profiles and put some effort in, have pictures, these sort of things. Now, I guess it's just like one picture and some superficial criteria. Well, you just link it to Facebook, don't you? And it pulls in your profile pictures. Yeah. I get Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually used it. I can confirm. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, you put in that much effort. Mm. And the other problem is, well, (laughs) there are a few, but... (laughs) In this particular instance, it's about just looking at someone as an object. Mm. It's just like, oh, I'm going to order some food on on this food app. Click. Oh, I'm looking for a partner. Click. (laughs) But there's another element, too, that people actually do want to be in serious relationships. But the apps are designed in a way to make us addicted. Talk about the dopamine hit. Mm. So people are now becoming addicted to dating apps as they would gambling or anything else that stimulates the what reward is, center. What is it about the design that is designed to... Well, it's called captology. And yeah, and designers have this in mind when they... I mean, look at Twitter, for example. There's a reason why there's a pause before you see your notifications. Yeah, these are, these have all been designed. Even the Facebook developers admitted that that's how Facebook... Facebook had that in mind when they developed And I mean, not to go too off tangent, but I think this is very important. And that is we are reducing our relationships into a string of what some coder somewhere thought was the Mm. best way for us to interact. If we have 500 Facebook friends, we must reduce what a friendship actually means. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically we're trying to find love in the same way. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I, I, I looked at this statistic the other day, mm-hmm. and in Europe, 3%, no, 6% of coders are female, and in North America, it's 11%. So basically, we'll say 90% of our online space is being, and our relationships are being dictated by men through a male perspective. Wow, so very similar to the movies we watch or whatever, male director, male writer, mm-hmm. male... And so, once again, this is all being... And, and by the way, I, I wish I had better coding skills. I, it's not that I don't respect the skills. I do. Mm. But when it's one gender, and let's face it, a lot of these people are probably autistic. They're probably not the best people to create spaces for interaction and relationships. And we are putting all of our agency into, into the hands of these yeah. people. Gosh, when you put it like that... It, it seems very silly of us. But you do your, what did you call it? Wing, wing, wing man, wing, wing person, wing person, <laughs> wing person Emma. Wing, what, 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 what? <laughs> you can tell I've had four coffees this morning. I apologize. I 
teasing you. Wing, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> wing person coaching. Yeah. Um, in those co- in that coaching, are you weaning people off things like Tinder, or is that just something that happens naturally when you put them in the real world? Right, and and it did get a little bit doom and gloom there for a minute. Um, sorry about that, but <laughs> it's just one of the many reasons why. Why aren't we? Let's just do this in real life. Mm-hmm. It's just it's easier. It makes more sense. It's more real. Better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So in answer to your question. I always ask people because maybe some people are enjoying using apps. Maybe they they genuinely like it. And if they do, that's cool. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You do you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So as long as you're conscious about making the choice Mm -hmm. and it's not for other reasons, like, well, one is you want to be proactive. So it gives you this false illusion that you're being proactive and Mm -hmm. doing something. So sorry, I don't want to go into it, but so uh, that's actually very true. A lot of my friends at the beginning of this year, single friends, we were talking about New Year's resolutions, like Mm. what are we going to do in 2018? A lot of my single friends said, I'm going to sign back up into insert dating app here. And it was exactly that. It was like, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to make stuff happen in 2018. And that was our way of doing it. Yeah, right. So the way to, which I love the sentiment, I love it. But the way to actually make things happen and not just feel depressed and, and worse is you have a hobby. You, you, you fill yourself with things that you love doing. And mm-hmm. while you're out having your interesting life, you use the steps in flirtology. I mean, I have all the practical steps mm-hmm. in there of what exactly you need to do and why and how. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I was at a... Well, I, I didn't quite answer your question. And basically, with my clients, I just asked them, do you want to stay on the apps? Because people are so worried that what's happened in the past is doomed to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. And I say, the only way that things are going to repeat it, these things are going to repeat themselves is if you continue doing them. If you don't learn from, yeah. Yeah. You're not doing anything new. It's like, what did Einstein say about the insanity is insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. I said, but now we're working together and I'm teaching Mm -hmm. you new ways and you're going to have new patterns. So as long as you do these new things, you won't have the same results. So I just asked them, is this making you happy? The answer is always no, but maybe. Is it really? Oh yeah. But it might not be for everyone, but right. as long as you're asking yourself and you're not just caught up in, in the mm-hmm. captology or the, the, the addictive uh, apps or whatever, is this working for me? Is this making me happy? And if both answers right now are yes, you have to keep checking in. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But they all say no. So they're more, in fact, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's like a relief. Like, <laughs> please, let me just stop doing this. Isn't that interesting? I find that fascinating. So they're not happy with it. They want to have real world experience and that's why they come to you. Yeah. Is there something that regardless of uh, gender or background or anything that you hear consistently from people who are now proactively Mm. wanting to get out there and meet people and come via you? Yes. The reason why people don't take action in their daily lives, like if you're at a party or networking event or anywhere, is because of they're afraid of rejection. Mm-hmm. Most of this rejection happens in their mind. It doesn't, it's not even something some of them have even ever experienced because the power of the narrative that your mind is made up is so powerful that it stops people from ever acting. So it could be even something as simple as, oh, wow, is that is that guy over there looking at me? God, he's, he's really cute. Oh, I, what should I do? Oh, well, if I go over there, it's probably going to think I'm weird. And actually probably wasn't even looking at me. Oh, okay. I'll just stay here. Wow. Thank God I didn't do that. That would have been a disaster. And that's what happens in our minds in the space of like 30 seconds. Mm. And it keeps us paralyzed. And Analysis we, is paralysis. Uh, yeah. So in fact, one of the mantras that I tell people is don't think, just go. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to be able to recognize when the thoughts start coming in. Mm. And then the minute they start, don't think, just go. A few years ago, a friend of mine, and this relates to this very yeah, specifically, yeah. a friend of mine um, tried to immunize himself against rejection mm-hmm. by asking for things every day that he thought he was going to get a no to. Mm. And then he ended up being surprised mm. because he got yeses. That's it. But then he was building that muscle of it's okay if they say no, because I'm getting a no every day. So no, it is exactly that immunizing himself against it. I love it. I really (laughs) love it. I think this whole thing about not letting the mind take over and getting the practical experience. Mm. First of all, that's, that's why I love the fearless flirting tours. I've been running them for 10 years because we're out and about in a like-minded group of people and you can't let your mind take over because you keep having these experiences, which you think are going to be scary, mm. but everyone else in the group's doing them. And then you realize, actually, this is so much easier or people don't have the same reactions that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But there's another element of this. And that is, it was again on a wing person night out. And I say wing person because I have male and female clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this client was a female and she was all excited and she said, I'm going to go talk to those two men standing over there. And I said, great. So she went over there and she came back a few seconds later and I said, oh, how, how did it go? She's like, oh, no, he, he wasn't interested in talking to me. I said, well, he seemed to be quite happy about it. Is, is, you know, what, what happened? She goes, oh, I basically I'm so happy because I actually did it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I thought, that's it. We often forget that when we do what we want mm-hmm. to do. That actually brings us the most happiness. So his reaction, secondary. Yeah. But the fact that she wanted to do it and she did it made her so happy. I, now that's a very interesting thing because I think this come a lot of it comes back to self-esteem, which is a 
topic that I've discussed a lot on this show of if you're cool with yourself mm-hmm. then it's harder to get knocked by other people whether that's their rejection of you or their acceptance of you so it's part of the wing person um sort of uh protocol about building that within people as well yeah. like if somebody was uh let's talk about the fearless flirting tools because you do these regularly right they yeah. are something that anyone can sign up to mm-hmm. we're going to put the links in the show notes okay, obviously so um could you sort of give us an outline of what that might look like and if you what the criteria is to get accepted or to come along <laughs> you must send me a box of chocolates <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, no, as you said, this is, this is, the tours are open to anyone. The average person is between about 20 and 65. It, I mean, it really is. Mm. Um, men and women, everyone's welcome, any sexual orientation. And it's just a way for people to practice skills and overcoming the fear that their mind makes up. Mm-hmm. And it's really as simple as that. Going back to what you said a, a little bit earlier about... This is all about how we feel about ourselves, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know this. The way that I sort of think about it and explain it is we go around with holes in ourselves and we expect other people to fill them. We want other people to fill them so we'll be whole. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here, there's a hole here. Can you make me feel pretty? Hey, Hugh, there's a hole. Can you fill this up? Make me feel interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, we've tried this. It does not work. We try to get our self-value via other people. Mm -hmm. And first of all, this is why rejection hurts so much for people because they've got a lot at stake tied into that person, sometimes a stranger, Mm. because they're counting on that person to give them self-worth and self-value. I mean, again, the crazy thing is, why don't we just do it ourselves? Mm -hmm. And this is when flirting and even dating becomes so much fun. This is actually really fun stuff here. Um, we fill ourselves up away from the dating and flirting arena. This is called self-development, self-care, mm-hmm. self-love. We do things that make us feel good. For myself, love yoga. I love cooking. I love baking. Um, and, you know, of course, hanging out with friends, hanging out with my husband. But it's even less about having to depend on anyone mm-hmm. except yourself. Mm-hmm. I love getting lots of sleep. You know, you. what do you do to make yourself feel Oh, I watch reality TV, which I want to ask you about because I'm intrigued. Okay. Um, But I throw myself into movies. Mm -hmm. Or, and this is something that I've only developed in the last 18 months. I used to be terrible at spending time by myself. Mm. Terrible. Mm. I would literally, I would be like a human being who, when I wasn't with people, would go into my flat and go into standby mode. Just like, you know, power down and just wait for someone to call and be like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Mm. Now, one of my favorite things to do is uh, wake up really early on a Saturday morning. Hello, hello, boring (laughs) alert. I love it. And I apologize not for it. I wake up really early on a Saturday morning. I make myself a strong black coffee and I sit in my reading chair and I enjoy the quiet Mm. and I enjoy how comfortable my chair is that I bought. And I am really comfortable in my own skin. And I couldn't have done that a couple of years ago. And I feel very good about that. Yeah. And that, Emma, that is exactly what I'm talking about, about us finding ways how we can make ourselves mm-hmm. happy, like a, a comfortable blanket snuggling up on a sofa, you know, et cetera, all of this stuff. Yeah. So we fill ourselves up. We fill our own holes up. That means when we go out flirting or trying to find a partner, it's not a matter of, oh, please don't reject me or please like me. Please make me feel good about myself. Instead, it's like rejection is an effective weeding out mechanism. 
Mm. It just helps us find who we match with and who we don't. And it's really that straightforward. Mm. I was also talking to someone recently um, about... I went on a date with a guy uh, probably about a year and a half ago and he was super keen and I remember saying to my friend I could very easily use this person I know I'm not keen on him but I could really feed off his keenness in me I know I understand how that could possibly sound please don't think I'm being arrogant here and I said I can't do it I I can't do that to another human being I would hate to have that done to me it wouldn't make me feel good um so I could have um absorbed all of that really um lovely attention but it just wouldn't have been a cool thing to do and I felt good about it in a way because I thought I don't need that because I'm self-sufficient at least um I'm not going to feed off anyone else to make me feel whole whether it's by them liking me more than I like them or the other way around or hoping that somebody who likes me less than I like them and getting them to validate me, yeah. which I've definitely done in the past. Yeah. But you should feel good about about being aware of that because I think because a lot of people aren't sorting themselves out, they're unfortunately the end result means we're using each other to mm-hmm. make ourselves feel good. And then of course you mess with someone else and then they feel cynical or hurt or mm-hmm. used and then they carry that on. And so we're just spreading these like chains of of people not treating each other very well and then therefore coming back the next time more cynical or guarded or less likely to be vulnerable well the other thing because i've just remembered what that thing was that i was trying to say there is i was telling my friend about it and saying i don't know how to let him down it makes me feel uncomfortable to reject him Mm. because i know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that text because in this day and age it is text and it feels shitty and I don't want to do that to another human. And she very rightly pointed out to me that that's because your perception of rejection is negative. His perception of rejection might be, great, I can move on. <laughs> yes. And I thought that was very interesting. And it's made me really turn how I see rejection on its head. And now I do see it as a, great, I'm not going to waste any more time. And my time is precious, thank you very mm. much. So I'm going to go yeah. towards what fuels me. Do you, do you feel that that's a... A three six a one eighty <laughs> that people have to make when they come on the fearless flirt. Yeah, talk. it's it's almost what you just what your friend said about that's because that's the way you look at rejection, and he might not see it that way. It's the same with graceful exits, mm. which so on the fearless flirting tours, I teach people how to approach people. But what I've recognized is that if someone is not comfortable exiting a conversation, they're not going to be comfortable entering. Because if you're someone who basically you're going to be stuck there until the other person is completely done, completely done using you or completely mm-hmm. done with their monologues or whatever, um, and you have to be there until the bitter end, you're not going to be have an incentive to start these conversations. Mm-hmm. So the two are very important to be able to do both. But what I recognize with the graceful exits is that people think, oh, if I, if I leave or end this conversation, this person will be offended. This person will think it's rude. This person will cry themselves to sleep uh, at night because I left our conversation. Yeah. When in fact, who knows what they're thinking? Mm. It's probably none of the above. But this is another thing that we need to start doing, and that is letting everyone have their own thoughts. Mm. Because what we do in our mind is we create entire conversations and then I'll say that. And then she'll say that. And then I'll say that. And we haven't even met this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just need to kind of get our mind chatter under control. Mind chatter. 
just been talking about mind chatter this morning and mm. yoga and how yoga is oh, an yeah. excellent way of getting rid of mind chatter. Yeah. So in terms of a graceful exit, yeah. what, are the, what are the keys? Because this applies, like much of the book, as I said to you when I arrived, this applies to not just flirting and relationships mm. and dating. This is just like general life stuff that is very, very useful. Um, what, are, are there keys to a graceful exit? Like how do you... Have you seen Casino? No. Should I? Well... Ginger, Sharon Stone's character in Casino is like the ultimate social... I would like to navigate a room like her. She's got like a folded up 20 in her hand. She shakes hands with the maitre d'. She just navigates the room in a way that makes everybody feel good, but she doesn't really give anyone her time. And um, not that that's what I want to do necessarily, but when you watch, if you see that scene in the movie, you'll kind of guess what I mean, is Mm -hmm. that just a, a touch on the shoulder makes people feel good. I always reference her when I'm talking about being socially like mm. um, social lubricant being like really just brilliant in any social setting mm. are there keys to a graceful exit like what are the signs to look for to know that your time is up because that's something that I think we all actually know but mm. sometimes fear of being impolite makes us not act on it mm. is that what you find with your kind? I, I think it's just about being true to yourself in that interaction and one of the reasons why and again, I speak, I speak at corp- corporations, businesses about networking and, you know, this sort of thing. Because as you rightfully said, it's very similar skills. Mm-hmm. But if, if you can relate, if you've been to a networking event and then you go home and you're absolutely exhausted, it's not because someone isn't an extrovert or this or that. We're exhausted when we're not being exactly who we are when we are trying to act like we think we should or what's expected of us or how this other person would like us to, that's what makes us exhausted. When we're always ourself and say what we want and and act how we want, then we have constant energy. What about an introvert who does just hate social situations? And I have friends who are introverts Mm. and they feel very drained by social situations is that because they're just they're out of their comfort zone and they're having to not be themselves well i think maybe and it is hard to speak specifically about everyone but generally i would say and my husband is an introvert who often has to be in social situations so i've been observing him Mm. (laughs) married to a social anthropologist he's so lucky um (laughs) yes and i think it's what an introvert expects they're supposed to be like in a social mm. setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. But if you, it, it is an interesting one, because obviously when you're a room of people, there are certain expectations and introverts get their energy from themselves. But I guess people would say I'm extroverted, but I get all of my energy from myself, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry if this is getting a bit tangled, but I think the advice is the same. And that is, I know a lot of people prefer one-on-one conversations to yes. big groups. Yes. Okay. So if you're an introvert at a social gathering, just have a few good one-on-one situ- one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. Like just because there are a hundred people in the room, you can still have a one-on-one conversation, mm. but not have to sort of like act like an extrovert. Yeah, that's very interesting um, because I it, social situations can be exhausting. And I'm having a one-to-one conversation with you now, but if we were in, down the road at a big hotel and we met over you know, canapes and champagne at some big do, we could have this conversation one-on-one, but I would feel exhausted by all the energy around me in the room, I guess. Mm. So, Well, you said, I guess. So would you, though? Because um, that's the interesting thing. 
maybe you wouldn't. Hmm. I just do, but that's that's me finding big things like that. If I'm trying to have a conversation, this is all getting quite. Um, I'm turning this into a personal therapy session. No, no, no. This is an interesting point. In fact, I, I think another element to to what we're saying is about being in the moment because mm-hmm. you and I right now find quiet place just us just us very romantic yes. over here just the two of us banana bread well she didn't make it for me but I'm eating it banana How do you bread no I didn't make it for you that's so kind of you <laughs> I didn't but anyways um, but the point is we're totally in the moment okay yeah we're not thinking ahead hopefully to, to next question you might be but the point is, if we were in that same ballroom and there might be a million people around, mm. if we were both completely in the same moment, mm-hmm. it wouldn't matter how many other people were around. It's not That's about true. the amount of people around us. It's about what space you and I are in. Mm. And if it's in the moment, it's in the moment. Is being in the moment something that, given technology, given modern lifestyle, people st- can struggle to lean into? Yes, exactly. It's such a good question because these days attention is a commodity. Everyone Mm. is always trying to get our attention. So to be in the moment and actually be there 100% is more rare. But I think everyone will find, at least I do, that it gives the most value. Mm. It's the place where I want to be. Not least because fear usually operates in a future tense it's okay. How often have we actually, in the exact moment that we're in, been afraid? It, yeah. It's happened to me yeah. once. It was horrible. Now, how many times, if we sort of indulge our mind chatter about something that could possibly happen mm-hmm. in a future tense, one that's not real, mm-hmm. how often do we reside there where we can just make stuff up and indulge ourselves to no end? Yeah, that's a good point. Right. So again, being in the moment is the place you want to be. Mm-hmm. That, again, is something that we have to... Is it? I'm saying it as a statement. Is this something that we have to practice now? Well, I think people should try it out mm-hmm. and, and see what works best for them. <laughs> Any techniques for how one would do that? Yeah, well, basically... Uh, um, at some of my, my workshops that I give, one of the things I, I have people do is an exercise. Turn to the person next to them, three minutes, go. Then I introduce the whole being in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not even you can't talk about future things uh, once someone got a bit confused. It's, you can talk about whatever you want, but your mind is not racing ahead to the next thing. Right. So then they try it again with someone else. And I can never call people back to attention that second time because they're... I assume having such a great conversation. So that's a pattern of behavior that we need to keep doing. Mm-hmm. That's the, yeah, that's as simply as a new pattern. So you just have to keep practicing that with you have to be conscious though. Because that's something that I I hear friends talk about so many times. Um, I was at such and such a party and I was talking to so-and-so and and you know that they're the kind of person that you're talking to them and they're always looking Mm. over your shoulder, looking for the next thing. It's a real turn-off. Whereas when someone gives you their full attention, there's nothing like it. And so my solution would be not to talk to those people, Mm -hmm. make your graceful exit and 
find people who are interested in talking to you? I've definitely <laughs> noticed in, in my own experience, but also just gathering information from friends as well, that sometimes if people are harder work, one rises to the challenge and is like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet your needs instead of meeting one's own and doing the graceful exit. Mm. Do you find that something that people can get caught up in and maybe then get captured into maybe a, a wrong relationship or definitely. And the reason is, I mean, this is a perfect example of another symptom mm-hmm. of the bigger problem. We're not feeling ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're handing it over to other people to fill us. Mm. And often our choices are not good. And a, and a perfect example is one of my very good friends and her husband have birthdays two days apart. And they often have joint birthday parties. And last year, um, my friend's husband didn't want to have a birthday party. He's just like, no, nah, I'm fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted to have one. I was like, well, why don't you have one? So she kept pressuring him. No, we should do it. We should do it. And he's like, I don't want one. And I said to her, why don't you have one? Oh, I'd feel bad if I had a party and he didn't. And I thought, wow. So what's happening here is the classic. Mm. You're trying to get your value, happiness, self-worth via another person. Mm. He's not acting the way that it's going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. So just throw your own party. Everyone just throw your own party. That's the (laughs) metaphor. Throw, I, I throw your own party. Well, 40 days of 40, if everyone remembers 40 days of 40, which was um, in the run up to my 40th birthday in celebration Perfect. of leaning into it. I did something every day in the 40 days before to Perfect. make me happy. And what, was your, what was your favorite? I actually, it wasn't a single day. Truth be told, um, I did something every day that made me happy. And I was, I had big plans. I had big plans. I was going to go to Los Angeles and see Guns N' Roses at the Staples Center with my friend Lindsay. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use air miles. And actually life gets in the way. And, but life is life and work got in the way. And I couldn't do that particular trip. And some nights it was about coming home and putting a really nice aromatherapy oil in my diffuser, sitting on my sofa and just like going this is amazing this is lovely I'm enjoying this Mm. and that's enough and there were days I I had my first ever I threw my first ever party and it was horrible I hated sending out the invitation because I was like I'm gonna get rejected exactly what you do in your in your workshops I was so fearful of rejection and I thought I am gonna do this and I'm gonna do this once and I am not going to perceive people not coming as a rejection. I'm going to perceive it as they can't make it because that's the reality. So the favorite thing actually was when I got to the end of it and I realized that I had by accident created a living gratitude journal because every day I was checking in and making sure I was happy and appreciating the day in some way. And so by the end of it, I loved my friends more, I loved my family more, and I loved my life more than I've ever appreciated it. So it was kind of by accident that I got to that place, but that was my favorite thing. I love that. (laughs) That's great. Recent memory as well, Um, because it was just December. So Mm. there we go. Um, Because we're drawing to the end of our time together. So if you, obviously all of this is in the book, and I really do strongly recommend it. It's a good read. But how did it go from, in your mind, I find with authors a lot of the time, the book is already in their head. It's just a case of funneling it out. Mm. So at what point did all of this turn into, this is a book and this is flatology and this is how I'm going to break it down? <laughs> well, I love this question because about eight years ago, I wrote my first book called The Flirt Interpreter. And this was my research that I was mentioning mm-hmm. um, 
I took it from my sort of more academic master's dissertation form and turned it into a book. And the whole process was such hard going. It was so hard going. It was such hard work. Um, when I think of, I love communicating. I absolutely love it. Mm. And when I think about my favorite mediums, well, I love audio. It's probably my favorite. But I also love giving talks and presentations. Mm. It's not writing. Let's put it like that, okay? So the whole thing was like sludging through mud and oh my God. Then um, I do Guardian Master Classes. Uh, Quick question. Are mm. you a visual learner? Because you do all of this research, but how- I'm not a visual learner. Okay. No. <laughs> Are you? Totally. Oh, no. In fact, I never even have slides for my presentations because I'm just like, eh, who cares? And then I realized, oh, maybe some people do. <laughs> no, my mind wanders. And so I find books really oh. hard going and I sound like such a... But I, um, but if you, so the best yeah. example is this. Yeah. If you show me a cookbook yeah. and you show me a page with a recipe on it and the step-by-step, I will screw it up. If you show me five minutes of how to do it on TV, I can replicate right. it perfectly. So you love YouTube. You get all your instructions from YouTube. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So anyway, so I, I run these um, Guardian masterclasses for the Guardian newspaper called How to Find a Partner Using Social Science. And as an added benefit, they advertise my classes in their newspaper with a, a huge picture of me. It was quite the first time I opened it. I was like, ah, um, big. My face is right there. But anyways, it was great exposure. Yeah. And so a, a couple book agents contacted me and they said, we think what you're doing is great. Have you considered writing a book about this? Mm. I was like, no. But then I thought, okay, fine. Yeah, I can see you in like four months. Like I just was not interested. I'm like writing a book, no. But uh, anyways, it obviously happened. Mm -hmm. And the process was amazing because I <laughs> remembered like any skill, the more you do it, the better you get. So mm -hmm. actually I, it's a chance to hone my writing skills and I have to be honest, it's the help of Celia Haley, the most wonderful woman in the world, who helped me structure my book. Mm -hmm. I, I did most of the writing, but she has this amazing mind that just puts everything in the right order. So you can just work from that. So in the end, I have this... And you do get that with the book, by the way. You, it's Handheld is probably the wrong expression, but it answers the questions that you, as you ask them. Oh, so great. when you when you are going through it, yeah. you feel it, it feels very linear and yeah, that's you're on the path. Yeah. yeah, the flow is amazing. Mm -hmm, yeah. Now the flow, I, that's the word I'm looking Now for. I read other people's books and I'm like, they need Celia. <laughs> you know, like Yeah, she oh, I'm so grateful to her. But basically it's any question anyone has ever asked me at a workshop or mm. a, a situation a private client had, or and it's all distilled into this one. I'm going to say it, amazing book. It and it's all good. right there in a perfect flow. Mm. So I just absolutely love it. And by the way, speaking of perfect flow, you know how I, I described the first book I did just was really hard going. When everything is right, the timing, the people, mm -hmm. it just flows just like this book did. It was mm. the easiest thing I've ever done. Really? That was an exaggeration, obviously, but it was, it was just so enjoyable, the yeah. process. Because like as, as someone who um, is on the dating scene, the the stories that you live for and the and the hope that you live for is when your friend rings you up and they're like we just we met and then it was just it was just like that it was just so easy yeah and that and I think what this book gives you is the hope that that is out there for everybody and it's not necessarily at the other end of a Tinder app let's not yeah. call out Tinder too much right at the end of a dating yeah. app it. 
it could be in your local bar it could be in your local restaurant it's yeah. wherever you kind of want to find it so the the sort of chain of events first you change your i don't like the word mindset i don't like the word set first you change your your attitude attitude perspective mm-hmm. which in turn automatically changes your behavior which in turn changes the outcome mm-hmm. so for example if you start with like oh talking to people is scary what's your behavior going to be mm. if you think talking to people is scary yeah with withdrawn withheld um, yeah. and not you're not going to talk yeah. to anyone and yeah. what's your outcome going to be nada exactly so let's say you change the um the perspective and it's well, I'm a friendly person. Let me see if I can find other friendly people. Mm-hmm. This is one of many examples. But let's mm-hmm. say that's yeah. the change, right? So how would your behavior change if that's what your attitude was? Body language, everything. I Everything would just be more open and welcoming. Yeah. And, and you might actually speak to people. Like mm-hmm. if you're saying next to someone at the bar looked friendly, you might say, hey, what are you drinking? Yeah. Or have you been here before? And that's going to change your outcome. Mm. So that's how it works. And it re- and it, when you say it, it's, it's kind of <laughs> not to diminish the book, these kind of witnesses, but it's kind of simple and yeah, obvious. Yeah, totally. But um, as you say, we're all um, modern life, modern living. That maybe has. What am I trying to say here? We are less forthcoming to that second way of thinking. Yeah. Perhaps because we are protecting ourselves, we're hiding behind certain things. It's easier to hide mm. in mm. this day and age. And I think that's part of what flirtology does is it gets people out from behind their phones after explaining all of the dark reasons why you shouldn't be using it. Mm. It gets you out and then it teaches you how to inter reminds you how to interact in the real world without a fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. That's the key, without the fear of rejection. And you can read about how to do that in the book. Yes. And the link to this will be in the show notes. Um, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I just kind of wanted to start reading the book, but then that wouldn't be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, reading the book out loud, like turning it into an audio book. But um, there are so many things in here that literally I think I told you. I read the first chapter and then I read it again. I was like, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, all of this. And I do think even if you aren't single... Even if you're in a relationship, whether you're married or what have you, there are still some really important just social lessons to learn from this mm. in terms of making um, your social life richer yeah. and more rewarding. Yeah. Actually, I was in um, one of the, the, the newspapers recently. Uh, there was an article about uh, this book. And the journalist said, I have to admit, when they first assigned me to this, I'm married and have kids. And I'm thinking... Um, am I really the right person to be writing on this book? She said, but after reading it, I just love it. And she mm. said, and it's for everyone. You know, mm. as you said, there's so many, it, it, it sounds strange me saying this because it's packaged in such a very mm. clear cut, find love. Yeah. But it is about social interactions and improving life and et cetera. So. And I, one of the conversations I seem to be having a lot with lots of friends as we all kind of navigate from like late thirties into forties is friendships. Like friendships mm. seem, it seems to be the point in time when friendships yeah. reach a bit of a crisis point and they either carry on or they do end. And I feel like this book is actually really good for kind of giving you some muscle to deal with that, whether it's moving a friendship forward or ending it. Yeah. Because you identify mm. certain things about what you want from yourself or from yeah. other people. Mm. So yes, yeah, not just about 
uh, dating? Well, as, as I always say, if you act like yourself, mm-hmm. then you attract people who like you, mm-hmm. whether that's of your preferred gender or friends or whatever. Act like yourself, attract people who like you. And what a flipping brilliant note upon which to end. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And thank you so much for Flatology. It is, it's a definitely keep it close to your heart book. Oh, could you please read the acknowledgements at the beginning? There are many people I'd like to thank for helping to make this book happen. Oh, sorry. Um, oh. The dedication. Oh, the dedication. Yeah, you're right. That, that was the acknowledgements. Right. This book is dedicated to you and me and our pact. Be curious, be open-minded, and be questioning. I will if you will. Brilliant. So is it a deal? It's a deal. Okay. High five. Uh, Yes, it's official. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. All of the show notes will include links to G, the book, social media, any references that we have talked about in the show. And obviously, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, maybe a question about dating that I can pass on to Jean, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com and I will get back to you in a timely fashion. See you on the next one. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. If you do have a question or want to get in touch with me after listening to that episode, please do email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or why not slide into my DMs on Twitter and Instagram where I am at Emma Guns. And if you are enjoying the show, I would be so, so grateful if you could leave a five-star review wherever it is that you stream or download the show. Thanks once again. It's always a pleasure to have you listen and join me on the show and I will see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.